It was October 9th, 2014, and I was on the ragged edge. My soul was empty. My soul was dry. I was the campus pastor at our campus in Mount Vernon uh, at Cornwall Skagit, and it was a very rough season, and I had had a very difficult day. So I was driving home. I was coming up I-5. I was outside of Bellingham. I'm in the right-hand lane. There's a guy in front of me, and he's doing like 40 in a 60. So I'm like, all right, let me get around him. So I go around him, and as I'm going around him, he kind of looks over at me, and he speeds up. I'm like, okay. I speed up, and he speeds up. So I slowed down, and he slowed down. I'm like, come on, man. As all this is going on, I've got another car that comes up right behind me. And he's flashing his lights. He gets like two inches from my bumper, and he's flipping me off. So I actually said some few, a few things that weren't pastorly. I may have exchanged sign language with him. It was not my best moment. I'm just owning that. Well, I got home, parked the car, and got on my motorcycle. Not smart either. I didn't care if I lived or died. In fact, I really wanted to die. So I got on my motorcycle, and I am going fast up and down I-5. And as I start to throttle up things, I'm just I'm feeling that adrenaline. The throttle's going, and all of a sudden, I hear that still, small voice. Kip, what are you doing here? Dethrottle go home. So I went home, got into the house, put my gear away, and just broke down on the floor of our living room. And I'm like, how did I get to this point? It was my first real crash that I had. Thank God for my incredible wife. I am a high-maintenance husband. Imagine that. <laughs> and she's able to talk me off of ledges, got me to a doctor, got me on some medicine, started seeing a Christian counselor, and I thought things were going well. And then I had another crash and another crash. I'll be talking about that today as we look at some, as we're going to talk about mental health, because right now, yeah, we're in a pandemic, but it's a pandemic of mental health. Let me throw some, some statistics at you, because it can feel like we're in constant crisis. In fact, at, at the end of one of my crashes, I remember I was, I, I, I talked to text because my thumbs are slow and stupid. And, and so I was texting a note to myself and I just said, Christ is in control. And it came out as crisis is in control. And that's what it feels like right now, doesn't it? Here's a, a, a survey from just two months ago. And I think the numbers are higher. 65% of Americans are a stressed, depressed, hot mess over money, economy, and, the inflation, and inflation. I would say it's probably higher than that now. This is a two-month-old survey. 85% feel that we're in a constant crisis affecting our mental health. 58% are a stressed, depressed, hot mess over the strain of the pandemic, endemic, or whatever the demic is we're calling it now. 70% are a stressed, depressed, hot mess and feel that we're going to go to war with Russia or that Russia is going to use nuclear weapons. What do we do about it? Where do we go for help? Or better yet, to whom do we go for help? I'm glad you asked that question. Such is what we're going to talk about today. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Only Jesus can give us true rest for our weary souls. Only Jesus the creator, sustainer, maker of heaven and earth can give us true rest for our weary souls. But get this, he's not here to shame us. He's here to help us. Jesus overcomes the darkness. 
Well, a, a few caveats as I step into this very difficult teaching today. First of all, I am on medication. I've been on medication. If God chooses to heal me, praise God. Praise God for my anxiety and depression. I love that. God can do that. I believe that in, 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 deep down into my soul. But if not, it's a thorn in my flesh, and he's given me freedom to move, and I appreciate that so much from God. His grace is sufficient. Next, if you are on medication, here or online, do not change your medication. Do not stop your medication at the end of today's teaching. That's between you and your doctor. I believe the church, Big C Church, has done great shame and damage by saying two things when it comes to depression and anxiety. It's, your, it's all about faith, that you're lacking faith, or you've got sin in your life, and that can be true. Faith is a part of anything, but we're going to see today that it's much bigger than that. Okay, last but not least, another caveat. Jesus creates, right? He creates incredible health professionals. He created medicine to help us. He gives us Christian counselors, therapists. And what happens is we tend to, to hold on to them as our Savior and just put Jesus on the back burner until we go through a panic attack or until we go through a, a bout of depression. And so what I want to do today is I want us to flip the script. I want Jesus to be the center, and we've got those good things to help us. But our focus is on Jesus as he heals us and doesn't shame us, okay? Is that good? Okay, good. One, one person said yes. The rest of you, I don't care. We're rolling forward with this. God's got a lot to say about this as we step into a six-week series on the book of Psalms. And it's called, wait for it, wait for it, here it comes. Psalms. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty crazy title of the series. Um, we decided not to, just to plagiarize God because they're going to plagiarize anybody. God's a good one to plagiarize. We're looking at 150 psalms. Well, we're pulling out uh, in the six weeks uh, a handful of psalms out of the 150 psalms. The psalms are the Hebrew hymnal. They're a Hebrew songbook. They were written by poets, prophets, priests, and kings, temple assistants, musicians. Most people think that David wrote all of them. He didn't. He only wrote 73 Another 53 or so were written by anonymous, and, and that means we don't know actually who wrote them, but they made it in to the hymn book. Asaph wrote about a dozen of them. A guy named He-Man, what a great name. He wrote one, Ethan wrote one, Moses wrote one, and then these guys named the sons of Korah wrote nine. We're going to be looking at one today that the sons of Korah wrote. We're going to be in Psalm 42. Now, here's the thing about the Psalms. They're raw, they're real, and they're rejuvenating. Jesus quoted the Psalms consistently, so they're important for us. So turn to Psalm 42. Let me set the scene for what's going on. Last week, we celebrated the greatest event in the history of mankind, the most important event for us as Christ followers, and it's the, the resurrection. It happened about 2,000 years ago. Our psalm was most likely written about 600 years before that. So 600 years before that, the psalmist is most likely in exile in northern Israel or in Babylon. He's got a lot of angst. He's seen the worst the world has to offer. He is in a great, a deep place of despair and depression. So he's a member of what's called the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, they were, they were great leaders. They were great warriors. They were fierce warriors. But they were also poets, songwriters, temple musicians, and assistants. And we're going to see that come out in today's teaching. 
Korah was a guy, if you go back to the time of the Exodus, he led a rebellion against Moses. He was a Levite, and God kerspankled Korah. But out of God's mercy and grace, he kept the line alive. And so the sons of Korah were temple musicians, assistants, and priests. And so this temple musician writes a very real and raw psalm. With that, a couple shout-outs to the, uh, the people who helped me put this together. Dr. Timothy Keller, a uh, 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 pastor named Sean Johnson. He's a megachurch pastor of a church in Denver. Uh, Sean had a, a horrible crash, and he wrote a great book on stress and anxiety. And then last but not least, our own Pastor Randy Priest. Pastor Randy, licensed counselor on staff, dear friend, who's helped me over the past 10 years that I've been on staff. But he really helped me put this together. All of these words in here, or a lot of these words are theirs and not mine. All right, with that, here we go. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for, the, for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So depression's a funky thing. It's a beast. It can be chronic or episodic. Mine is episodic. That means it comes in episodes. So I had that episode on October 9th, 2014. I thought I was good to go, but sure enough, it crept on me again a couple more times. The most recent was in May of 2020. You guys may remember what was going on. We had a lot of stuff happening at the beginning of the pandemic. Well, for me, I do what's called range therapy. Uh, some of you veterans and law enforcement folks get this. I, I go out to the range every week at Custer, and nobody's there. I go on a Monday when nobody's there. It's just me. And I'm outside. I set up my targets, and there's just something about, about putting a bullet right down range as you breathe and you focus. It's relaxing. It's range therapy. And so I was getting ready to do that. Got all my gear together, uh, got my range bag and everything, and, and I go to my safe, my, my gun locker to open my gun locker and pull out my, my Glock and my Beretta, my pistols. And as I got there, dark thoughts entered my mind, dark thoughts of hurting myself. And, and I look, I just stare, 10 seconds, 10 minutes, I don't know but I just stare. And that same beautiful, still, small voice said, Kip, what are you doing here? Put it away. Put it away. And I did. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. I was panting for God. Now, what was leading up to that? There were a lot of triggers that I had because you're going to find if you have episodic depression, especially there are triggers that can happen to take you to those dark places. Uh, at that time, we had race riots going on in our country. I, I served my country for 28 years and to see the country falling apart just tore me apart. We were isolated. Folks, isolation is what you want to do when you're depressed, but it's the worst thing you can do because you need people around you. We were isolated. Uh, we were on a countrywide shutdown, a, a statewide lockdown. On top of that, we weren't meeting together as a church in person. Uh, we were only meeting online. I was isolated from our staff because we, we were locked down uh, from coming into the building. It was a very difficult time. Uh, Pastor Bob and I and Pastor Jeff were the recipients of a lot of criticism, but uh, some really, really bad hate mail. I mean, we're talking hate mail with some vile stuff said at us. So it was a bad time in a bad spot. 
Well, before that, if you go back with me a, a couple years before that in 2017, uh, that was when I had another crash. That one was pretty difficult. I had a, a friend of mine, he's a special forces sergeant major. Uh, I was his, his company commander when we were in special forces. I love this guy. Just a great, great man, steely-eyed killer. He was over at my house, and he said, Kip, you need to go to the VA. You need to talk to him. You need to get your compensation squared away specifically for your post-traumatic stress. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I called up the VA. I got the appointment to have, they were going to look at my PTSD. Now, here's the thing. For those of you veterans who've done this, you know what it's like. It is not a fun time. What happens is you go in, before you go in, you have to list out all the times in your military career that you had a butt-puckering experience. I'll just leave it at that. A difficult time, a time of angst, a time of fear, a time when you thought your life was threatened. So I had a good list there, and, and I walked in, and, and the, the counselor was just a great guy. Vietnam veteran, he's a Christian, a very gentle man, and he said, okay, Colonel McCormick, and I said, no, call me Kip. He said, okay, Colonel McCormick, here's what's going to happen. You're going to sit down, and we're going to be here for four to six hours. This is going to be one of the most difficult days of your life. Be ready for it. Like, ooh, wasn't ready for that. And as I sat down there, he said, we're going to go through each incident. We're going to go through every single thing that you said, everything that happened. I want, we're going to talk about smells and sounds and all those things. At the end of it, I, I had so, much, so many feelings of failure and darkness. It was just ugly. He said, have you ever thought of killing yourself? I said, yes. Do you have, did you have a plan? Yes, share that plan with me. I shared that plan with him. I will share that with no one else. And the beautiful thing about it was he just met me in the midst of that. And I really feel that my healing started at that time. But at the end of that, I was pretty broken. I walked out of there, and that was down in Seattle. We live up here in Ferndale. For those of you attending online, it's about a two-hour drive from where I was in Seattle back to here. So I just sat in my truck. I prayed, rolled down my windows, turned on country music, don't be hating, and I drove back. Depression had come on me quickly and descended upon me like a wet blanket. I couldn't breathe. So let's talk about some of the causes of depression. Because as I said, so many say, oh, it's just a faith issue. We're going to see in today's teaching that that's not necessarily true. Or it's a sin issue. Yes, it can be. But I think it's bigger than that because we're very complex people. And this is a complex issue. So let's talk about some of those causes of depression. Pastor Randy, I love him. He said, Kip, if you look at depression as a forest, there are a whole bunch of trees that make up that forest. Let's talk about those trees. Uh, one of them is a biological cause. Some of us, because of the fall of man, uh, our, our, our brains can't produce the chemicals to fight anxiety or depression. So if uh, many of you, your brains do that, but some of us, they don't. So we got to have meds. Uh, for some of you, depression or anxiety occurs with some of the medicines you take, or it occurs with certain diseases. Some of you are simply born negative. It's like Eeyore is your Savior and Lord, you know, if I only had a tail. So you got to be on point. For some people, difficult events, trauma, so combat Sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, death, divorce, things of that nature, difficult things in our lives can be triggers. We got to guard against it. Women are twice as likely to have depression than men for a whole bunch of hormonal reasons. There's a genetic link. 
On my, in my family, I'm blessed. On one side, I got high-speed anxiety. On the other side, I got low-drag depression. Yay. Thanks. Isolation is one of them, too. We've talked a little bit about that. We'll talk about that some more. Sin can be a cause. It can cause anxiety as you try to cover up what you're doing. And then when you relapse, if you have addictive behaviors or when you simply have guilt and shame, you can go to a very depressive point. No matter what, Satan loves the, the mental health issues. He, it's his playground. And it's why there's spiritual combat that goes on when it comes to mental health. That's why the Apostle Paul writes these words, Ephesians 4, verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual component that we often poo-poo off. And, and it's funny because if you're not a Christian or if you're a fairly new Christian and you don't believe in Satan and demons, well, let me just share this fact. Three out of four Americans believe in the supernatural, so we Christians aren't that weird. So let's go back to Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can, or when can I go and meet with God? So the psalmist is thirsty. He just wants God. He wants to experience God, but God's a pipe dream for him right now. He's in the dry season of all dry seasons. And just a word of warning for everyone here, anyone attending online, as a Christ follower, you will have dry seasons. It's just going to happen. It, it, but, but you got to remember these things. You have to remember this point specifically, that God is always there and working even when we can't feel him or see him. God is always there and working even when we can't feel him or we can't see him. God is all present. And for this psalmist, he's struggling. He's lost the relational experience of God's presence. But don't miss it. Don't miss this. He's done nothing wrong. Folks, this is not a faith issue. He's got faith. This is not a sin issue. He doesn't, he's not sinning. He is wanting to meet God and he's hurt in his soul. He continues on in verse three to describe his pain. My tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where is your God? So as I said, depression's a beast. Some of you, you can't, you, you, you can't eat and you can't sleep. Some of you, all you can do is eat and sleep. For me, on the depression side, I can't sleep. But on the anxiety side, if there's a Twinkie there, it is going down my gullet. I am bringing on, I, that's how I handle my stress, I'm eating. For this guy, there's a physical and the spiritual. The physical side is his tears are his food. He's got the salty tears diet going on. He can't sleep. But then there's also a spiritual side. He's got, whether they're fellow Jewish believers saying, where's your God now? Or unbelievers saying, where's your God? Or just that chatterbox in his head saying, where is your God? There's a spiritual issue there. As I said, for me, I can't sleep when I, when I get depressed, when I have that episode of depression. But what happens to me is I have well-meaning people. I've had well-meaning people, including pastors, not in this church, say, Kip, where's your faith? Come on. And on top of that, you got the chatterbox right here. You guys know what I'm talking about. The enemy, Satan, he's always putting stuff in your head. And he's like, come on, you call yourself a pastor. 
If you were a good pastor, you wouldn't have this. Better yet, you better not tell anybody because if you do, whoo, man, you're going to be looking for a job. Indeed.com. Well, praise God that he pushes against that lie. And what I've realized during all of this over the years is that you have to have a team. As I said, my wife, she's amazing. She puts up with so much. And she's one of my team members. I've got a great doctor. I've got a couple Christian counselors who are dear friends of mine. A military chaplain who he and I have, sh- have shared mud and blood. I've got my family and my kids. I've got a team because you can't be isolated. If you are, you will fail. So the psalmist continues on in this issue of isolation because it's important. Verse 4, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Underline that, we're going to come back to it. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. So at one point, he's a sons of Korah, one of the sons of Korah. So he's a temple assistant and he's leading people into the temple. He gets a rise out of that. He thinks it's great. He feels so good because he's with people as they praise God. But guess what? He's in exile now. He's seen the the worst the world has to offer when that exile occurred. And he's pouring out his soul. I pour out my soul. Once again, he hasn't lost his faith. That's so important to remember. He's simply speaking to God from his heart. He's speaking from a point of anguish. And for those of you who have been in that point of anguish, whether it's that panic attack and anxiety, or you're at that deep point of despair where you're just hanging on by your fingernails, all you can do, you can't even pray. All you can say is, God, help me. And what's so beautiful about God He's always there and working, especially when we can't see him or feel him. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Now he's going to start talking to his soul. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Circle that word downcast. Why so disturbed within me? Circle that word disturbed. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He asks himself, why is my soul so downcast? Hebrew word there is very important. The Hebrew word is shakak. And what shakak means is not only to be bowed low, but it means to be tormented at the deepest part. And then he says, why so disturbed within me? The Hebrew word there, hama, it means to not only have your guts churning, but to growl from the inside. Those of us who deal with with episodes of depression have to really fight against anger because anger and depression walk arm in arm down the same street as your stomach growls, as your soul growls. But look at this. This guy speaks into his heart. Here's the Kipster International Version, my paraphrase of it. it. My soul, why are you so low and tormented? Why are you growling and in an uproar? He's doing self examination. But he never forgets that the only thing that can save him is God. When you're at rock bottom, the masks are peeled off. You cannot fake it to make it. And and we got to understand that God does some of his best work when you're at the end of your rope. When you're at the end of your rope, that's where God does some of his best work. And you just got to hang on. And it looks like he shifts gears. Actually, he does. He says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my Lord. Put your hope in God. 
few years ago over Thanksgiving, I, I did a sermon here on gratitude. And I said that praise and worry can't sleep in the same bed. Gratitude's very important for our mental health. I would also say that praise and depression can't sleep in the same bed. When, when I'm going through episodes of depression, and I've been fighting it hard for the past two weeks to, to put this sermon together, I get those triggers that are out there. And as soon as I, hear, I see those triggers or I see those signs of, it, of the wet blankets coming, the dark clouds coming, I start praising God. And I praise God for anything and everything. I wake up in the morning, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm on this side of the dirt. Thank you I got a warm bed. Thank you the roof didn't leak. Leak. Thank you, God, for hot coffee. I praise you, Jesus, for porcelain toilets. And before you send me the email, Pastor Kip said toilet in church, for those of you who are veterans and you've been downrange doing stuff, how you long for that porcelain toilet, yes. For those of you who've been homeless, living on the street, yes. For those of you who are hunters, two weeks out in the woods, praise God for porcelain toilets. So he praises him. He says, put your hope in God. So what I want to do now is I want to take this part of the sermon and I want to put it on the shelf. I want to take Psalm 42, put it on the shelf, read it on your own. And what I want to do is invite Jesus into this because there are three verses that we're going to look, that, look at that have given me such incredible healing uh, in, in time. And, and it's in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Uh, Dane who's a who's a, a pastor and seminary professor, he said that these three verses, it's the only place in the New Testament out of the 89 chapters of the Gospels where Jesus pulls open his chest and says, this is my heart, take a look. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, Jesus is inviting us. He says, let me take on your angst, your depression, your guilt, your shame, your life, and your love. So let's, let's put this in context. Let's look at this and put it in context. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. And as he's speaking to the Jewish people, they are weary and burdened for a couple reasons. First of all, Rome. The Roman government is taxing them to death. The Roman soldiers are beating them to death. Secondly, the, the religious leadership of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees, have come up with a bunch of man-made laws on top of these 613 laws of the Mosaic law. The people are tired. They're weary. They just need rest and so many of you right now understand that. You're tired, you're weary, and you just need rest. So Jesus gives us three words. Three words. Come, take, and learn. Come, take, and learn. Let's look at this. I picture Jesus with those nail-pierced arms, and he's saying, come to me, all you who are wearied and, bur and burdened, and I will shame you, and I will guilt you because you're full of sin and you lack faith. And he smacks you down. No, that's not what he does. Jesus, who's gentle and humble in heart, so just come to me. Let, me. let me wrap my arms around you because I love you. You can't do this by yourself. I got you. Come to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is in an agrarian society. 
So he uses a lot of agricultural word pictures. A, a yoke is a wooden harness. And that wooden harness, you take two animals, work animals, and the stronger of the two animals would do the work and the, and the, the weaker would be able to go along for the ride. And that's what Jesus does with us. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. But there's more to yoke than that. You see, the, the, the Pharisees would say that the Jewish people were yoked to the Mosaic law. And Jesus would say, guys, listen, I came to fulfill that law. I need you to yoke to me because my burden and my yoke, it's easy and it's light. See, Jesus gives us two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor. Wait for it. Wait for it as you love yourself. And what we often do is we focus on love God, love others. We sing about love God, love others. We have t-shirts that say love God, love others, and we forget that you got to love yourself. As we talked about in our series in the book of 1 John, Satan owns the keys to this world, and this world will beat you down. He will condemn you. This world will condemn you. And what can happen is we can start looking at ourselves differently than how Jesus looks at us. When we look in the mirror, we may see something totally different than what Jesus sees. When you look in the mirror, you may see ashamed. Jesus sees adored. You may see coward. Jesus sees courageous. You may see failure. Jesus sees forgiven. You may see forgotten. Jesus sees friend. You may see loser. Mm -mm, not Jesus. He sees loved. You may see rejected. Jesus sees redeemed. You may see overwhelmed. Anybody overwhelmed right now? Jesus sees overcomer. Folks, our souls were meant to be filled by God and things of God. And we've got to stop listening to the condemnation of this world and start listening to the affirmations of Jesus who simply says, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn. So when he says learn, that's important because another meaning of that word yoke, whenever you would study under a rabbi in that time, it would say that you were yoked to that rabbi. And Jesus is saying, come on, I'm the ultimate rabbi, yoke in to me. So in essence, Jesus says, let's do the Kipster International version again here. Uh, my paraphrase of this, he's in essence saying, I know you're going through something rough. Come to me. You're tired. Life has put something on you that you can't do by yourself that you didn't bring on yourself. Only I can give you that true rest that you need. You want rest for your soul? I promise you that I'll give it to you. I'm gentle, loving, patient, and kind. Let me help you. Have you noticed there's one word that keeps coming up besides Jesus here? And that word is soul. Our souls, as I said, were meant to be filled by things of Jesus. But here's the crazy thing. In order to walk as a Christ follower, in order to have true victory in, in our lives over anything that happens, we got to surrender. And as a military guy, I'm like, wait, you got to surrender to get victory? But that's exactly what Jesus tells us. You have to proverbially die in order to live. Go to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's just a few days before he's going to go to the cross. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he's got to remind his disciples 
that he's going to die and why he has to die. And again, agricultural society, he uses an agriculture analogy of a, a kernel of wheat. He says these words, John 12, verse 24. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Okay, now, first of all, this verse is about the necessary sacrifice of Jesus. He would die as that kernel of, of, of wheat, and, and as he's, he dies, he's resurrected. Uh, the wheat is expanded, and when he pours out his Holy Spirit, there's a multitude of life because of that. That's the meaning of that verse. So what does that have to do with mental health in you and me? Folks, there are things in our lives that need to die so that we can live. And let me ask you a question. What things do you need to put to death so that you can live? Let me give you a few examples in my life of how I've, there, there's some things I've had to stop. I've had to put to death so that I can have life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to do a lot of it. Uh, thanks to God, some of it I'm, I still struggle with. Some of the things that you can stop that are under your control. How about this one? Giving authority of your feelings over to others. Our feelings are only meant to be given to Jesus, no one else, not even our spouse. And when we give authority of our feelings over to someone else, for those of you who do public speaking, if you freak out as you speak publicly, it's because you've given authority of your feelings over to that studio audience. How about this one? Playing the comparison game. Or controlling people and circumstances. You want anxiety or depression? Yeah, people are going to fail you. You can't control them. Playing the blame game? People-pleasing, sinful activities, these are things we can control. Unhealthy lifestyles, unhealthy toxic relationships, playing the victim. For so many years, I, decades, I've been picking up stuff that doesn't belong to me, and God finally said, Kip, stop and drop. Stop it and drop it. Accept your reality and do something about it. Fight back. Some things we've been trying to resurrect, you know, they're dead, and we're sitting there trying to resurrect them. And God's saying, I killed that a long time ago in your life. It's dead. You need to move forward. You need to move on. And folks, it's scary, and it's so hard when you do this. Putting to death things in your life that you control that have actually become security blankets can be difficult. But here's what's beautiful about Jesus. He gives us scores of promises in the New Testament. God gives us promises all throughout Scripture. Let me look at three promises from Jesus. Peace, companionship, and freedom. Peace, companionship, and freedom. First of all, let's talk about peace. John 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. It's a promise. How about this one? Companionship, Matthew 28, verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a promise. Or this one I love for freedom, John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you'll be what, folks? Free indeed. Oh, man, it's an amazing promise. Amazing promise. As I said, our souls were created to be filled by Jesus, to be filled by God. And he gives us some other great things to help us in the realm of mental health. But Jesus needs to be at the center, and it all comes back to the cross. Go down this road with me. Go back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, uh, there's a tree, and that tree in the Garden of Eden represents a life more abundant. 
So God says to Adam in the Garden of Eden about that tree, obey me and you'll live. And we know what happens. Adam disobeys and all hell breaks loose in the world. Fast forward a few thousand years. Jesus is in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. In the New Testament, the cross is often referred to as a tree. And in essence, God says to Jesus about that tree, obey me and you'll die. I love how Timothy Keller put this. He said, Jesus climbed the tree of death, the cross, so that we could take part in the tree of life to have that life more abundant. And he's crushed for our sins. He's not placed on a cross. He's thrown on a cross. And God pours out all of his wrath, our sins, past, present, and future, your sins, my sins. And then he does the unthinkable. As his son is in the worst agony, God turns his back and walks away. It's the only time in the history of anything that God the Father and God the Son are separated and God had to do it because Jesus had to feel that despair, the lowest moment in the life of Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so many people are like, wow, he's mad at God. He's flipping off God. Not at all. He says, my God. My God, God was still his. It was a term of affection. He says, my God, my God was still his. And guess what? He's still yours. He's still yours and he just wants to be part of what you're going through. Pastor Randy and I, when we were talking about this, he said, you know, Kip, we have something that the psalmist in Psalm 42 doesn't have. I'm like, what's that? And he said, we have the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, Jesus overcomes the darkness. And because of that resurrection, he gives us the power to be free in whatever way that looks like. So with that, I want to give you a challenge. And it's a challenge for all of us, whether you're dealing with mental health issues or whether you just want to walk in mental health. And the challenge is a threefold focus. It's spirit, body, and mind. Spirit, body, and mind, all three go together. So let's talk about spirit first. I'm all about spiritual disciplines. I'm a doer. I enjoy doing things. Uh, spiritual disciplines are so impor important. Daily quiet time, memorization of scripture, prayer, worship, fasting, uh, spending time with God, doing those things, and it's really good. That helps. But how about a being thing? How about for this challenge, taking some time out, with simply no distractions. And you got that cup of coffee and you just sit with Jesus. He's sitting right in front of you and you pour out your heart. You praise him. You share whatever is going on in your life and then you just sit with him. Sometimes silence is his answer and it's a, a, an answer of love when he doesn't say anything. It's just like, I got you. Sometimes he'll share something deep with you. It's the spirit. With the spirit goes the body. If you are dealing with anxiety and depression right now, you need to go see your family practice physician. And this is the reason why. He or she has assessment tools to figure out what's going on as well as they can rule out any medical things that are happening. Because as I said earlier, one of the causes of depression, there's medical or co-occurrence with medicines and with, with uh, other diseases. But on top of that with the body, if you're able to, we're created to move. So you need to up your exercise game. 
You got to watch what you eat. Nutrition plays a big part in mental health. Whatever you shove down your gullet is going to affect your mind and your spirit and your body. So speaking of mind, let's talk about mind. First of all, if you're dealing with this, get to a Christian counselor. We got a list of them here and in Skagit. We got our list. Uh, For those of you online, send us a a note. We will get you a list of Christian counselors. Also, fill your mind with Scripture. Memorize Scripture. I can't tell you how many nights, those dark nights of the soul, how the demons flee when you just start quoting Scripture. When you're in the middle of a panic attack and you can't do anything, it's funny how the Holy Spirit will bring Scripture up and all of a sudden you can breathe. Turn down the news. Limit your social media. Get to church. Get with a community. Be part of a community. Spirit, body, and mind. All right, let me land this plane. Betsy Ten Boom once said these words. She said, there's no pit so deep, but that he, Jesus, is deeper still. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. I thirst. And what if, what if on the cross, Jesus was thinking about those words from Psalm 42? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for God. My soul thirsts for the living God. That psalm was his reality. And with that, he wants to enter with you. He invites you to him. He gets us. He gets your suffering. He gets your depression. He gets your anxiety. Whatever you're going through, he gets us and he invites us with those amazing words. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light.